Welcome to SaaS Backstage. I'm your host Nishant Goyal and with co-host Vishal Rivari. On this podcast we go behind the curtains talking to people who built and grew SaaS companies from ground up. Today our guest of the day is Emily Wang, founder of Bento, a personalized and embedded user onboarding software. Starting her career as a consultant at BCG and then pursuing MBA at Harvard Business School, Emily has over a decade of experience in product management. and actively writes about onboarding on Medium and LinkedIn. On this episode of SaaS Backstage, we discussed in depth her favorite topics on onboarding and retention, conveyed in a very digestible and simple manner, and other related topics. Being in a SaaS company, you should always expect the unexpected and look for ways to grow faster and stronger. And it's always great to learn from people who have experienced the challenges you are facing right now. and find the solutions without needing to try and experiment by yourself so let's jump into today's episode welcome emily to the podcast and thank you for joining us from san francisco i hope you're having a pleasant sunday and looking forward to have a chat with you yeah likewise all right so emily let me start off with how would you explain retention to a 5 year old kid <laughs> um it's a very ambitious 5 year old uh, <laughs> that's the I, best that's the best answer we have yeah. ever got on, on the podcast that's, that's yeah the- it's either a very ambitious 5 year old or a very ambitious parent of a 5 year old um no you, but you not you have not met indian parents right got <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it um no but when you say retention i'm i'm obviously understanding it as thinking about b2b saas which specifically yeah. is about yes. subscription yeah. revenue um yeah. but yeah i mean basically uh when you start a subscription you say i want to sign up for this it's like a magazine right yeah. you might sign up for a magazine and in the beginning you know you're signing up for one year you get 12 issues once a month and you know someone maybe even gifts it for you for christmas and that's great you can enjoy this for the next 12 months but at the end of the 12 months you have to decide do i want to keep receiving this magazine got it and as a 5 year old or as a buyer of sas you might think to yourself am i even reading the magazine first of all or is it just piling up in the corner then you might think am i enjoying what i'm getting from the magazine is it giving me either insights or entertainment and then the third thing you might think about is gosh i got a lot of magazine subscriptions for christmas right i have like five of them from my grandparents and my parents and so i don't want five every month which ones yeah. do i want um and in that moment you make the decision around whether to continue and that decision of whether to continue which is a decision that child makes is for the business a question of retention have i retained you as a customer and so if i oh, cancel right. my magazine because i don't read it then you've churned the customer as the magazine and if i keep it and in fact if i keep it and i say i want it more frequently then i'm not only retained but i've expanded how much i want to read your magazine in this case got it thank you thank you for answering to the ambitious child Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what five-year-old is getting magazines. You know, what I could think of. <laughs> hey, they, they they get comic books. Come on, uh, they obviously might be getting comic books, Flash and Batman series and everything. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so what would your answer be for the same question in terms of onboarding? How would you explain onboarding to the same child? Yeah, I think the magazine analogy holds less well because we all understand what a magazine is. We understand how to yeah. open it, how to turn its pages. And if you know how to read, then you know how to read. Um, but for uh, something else, whether it's software or let's say you bought a new toy, right? You got a new Lego toy. You're really, really excited about the picture on the front of the Lego toy. Um, one of our teammates just finished building the new McLaren F1 car out of Legos, which is really cool. And you dump out all the Lego pieces. And then at that point you go, gosh, I bought this box because I want the McLaren car at the end, but I have no idea where to start, right? And having instructions can sometimes be very overwhelming. And so sometimes people think of onboarding as just how do we give you instructions? And while that's important, if you are a five-year-old kid, you're not going to want to sit through 30 pages of instructions, right? Onboarding is really just saying, how do I help you go from the feeling of excitement, but also the feeling of being overwhelmed by all of the 10,000 Lego pieces that fell out? And how do we help you start to build the pieces so that you can see, oh, if I just keep going, I can get my McLaren car at the end. Got it. Um, so is that helpful? Oh, yes. Now, suddenly yeah. I'm feeling so much intelligent after this. <laughs> as, a five year, as, a, as a five-year-old kid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Emily. So tell me, uh, who is, according to you, who is responsible for retention in a SaaS company? Yeah, that's obviously a trick question. Um, so there's a couple of topics that, you know, I think the, the question of ownership is always challenging. Uh, onboarding, retention, but even pricing, right? I think these are all topics that are inherently very mixed. Um, in successful organizations that, you know, we've seen, onboarding is something that is jointly owned by a combination of customer success and product. And I say this because, you know, I'm assuming we're talking about software products, right? Where at the end of the day, yeah. the goal yeah. is to help your customer use your software. There are technology products out there where you're effectively offering a service where it's not important necessarily, right? For the customer to directly use your software. In those cases, it's very strictly your implementation team or your customer success team that might own onboarding. Um, but in the more sort of classic SaaS world where you expect your users to log in on a monthly, if not weekly or daily basis, um, the product has to be clear on how to use it. The actions you take need to be simple, but you also need customer success because really what you're trying to do is understand what are your goals? What is your almost internal organization and how do we help you adopt this new piece of software? We started this call by saying, like, you know, we might talk about technology and business, but at the end of the day, you can't forget that it's all people, right, at yeah. the end. And that's where teams like customer success done well can bring in a lot of that context on, like, who are the people, who are the hearts and minds that you also have to win alongside of, you know, having them use the software successfully. Got it. Okay. And why do you think is, or correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes people say, like, retention is hard why do you think they might be saying like this and why why is retention so hard for people specifically in SaaS companies yeah and specifically plg companies like product red growth why for them retention is so hard 
Yeah, I think it's something we don't talk enough about, which is, you know, the the whole wave around PLG is to reduce the friction to start, right? But if everyone is reducing the friction to start, then in some ways, we've also reduced the cost to change. Got it. Like okay. In traditional enterprise SaaS, um, or even, you know, on-prem software, the cost to get going is so expensive. It might be a yeah. six-month-long rollout that even if you're very unhappy with that piece of software, you think to yourself, gosh, I don't have another six months to try something else. Got it. Right? Okay. And so the switching costs are also really high. But now I can switch from Google Docs to Notion to Coda to whatever in the snap of a second. And over the last, especially I think last two years, you know, I think the peak of PLG, we only talk about the benefits of that. And for the consumer, I think it is generally um, positive, but for businesses, you've now rapidly, dramatically increased the competition. Yeah. And so if we come back to retention, right. Um, and if we go back to our very silly magazine analogy, like you don't need to have 10 subscriptions. You just probably want one or two. Um, even in the context of what documentation tools, maybe your organization will have two, but you certainly don't want to have 10. And so if it's now really, really easy for me to try and dabble in 10 different tools, then it means that nine out of the 10, or at least eight out of the 10 will be churned. All right. That's um, a really important aspect that you covered, uh, bringing down the cost to opt a new tool, especially for your client's competitors. Okay, that is one thing that, you know, that was picking on me. What made you think of uh, automating the onboarding experience? And how did you come up with the concept of everboarding? That is a really interesting concept. And I'd love to know more how it came into place. And what made you choose this as one of your major focus points for Bento? Yeah, so... I think maybe the first, um, maybe almost misconception to unpack is that we don't believe that we're automating onboarding, right? Um, what Bento's goal is, is to make it a lot easier for our customers, B2B software companies, to design and build and iterate on their onboarding experiences. Again, which we call everboarding, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but in fact, we so don't believe that this is just about automation, that every experience in Bento is built in a way that a human, that customer success person we talked about earlier, can go in and change the experience, right? We create a lot of room for you to insert the context that you have on exactly how this customer needs to roll out. We make it easy so that you can take your generic marketing video that is step one of everybody's onboarding and you can change it for customer A, so that it's not just the generic marketing video, but it is the head of product at company A saying, here's why we're using this tool. And to us, the goal isn't just how do we do these steps faster? It's how do we understand what are the right steps for this customer and arm them with the knowledge, right? And then, right. you know, the right experiences. Um, the concept of everboarding is an interesting one because, you know, five years ago, I was actually a growth PM at a company called Intercom. Um, Intercom is probably one of the first real PLG companies. Yeah. Um, and when I joined Intercom, they already had a really incredible new user experience where yeah. it was very easy to get set up and you could yeah. really do so much on your own. Sure. And 
a big part of that was just the way the product was built, but also because there was this growth team, right, that was very focused on that new user experience and understood that the way a user encounters the product or a feature for the first time is different than how they encounter it once they're up and going. And so this, our team would build, you know, quick start guides, tutorials, et cetera. And what we would talk about is things, concepts like the first user onboarding versus the nth user onboarding. The nth user is the second, the third, the fourth person at the company who joins in. And it was always incredibly challenging to design the right paths and the right content for all of these permutations of products and features and personas, right? Like you can imagine this just explodes. And yet it was deeply important, right? Your, Your champions, customers churn. And if they churn and there's nobody else who's onboarded, then guess what? You're probably at risk of churn. Um, and so this idea that this needed to be a continuous ongoing effort, I think was something that we didn't explicitly enumerate um, during my time at Intercom, but I think we felt. And then shortly before I actually started Bento, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine, Jonathan, who's um, currently the VP of customer success at HubSpot. And, um, you know, one of the things that he shared is he said, look, like nobody wants to sit through, you know, a multi-hour training, right? Nobody really wants to do that webinar. Nobody wants to be necessarily in that classroom style of learning. And part of it is because it can't just happen all at once up front. You really have to do it over time. Um, And he very casually referenced this idea of everboarding. And I was like, wait, 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 stop. Like, I think that word captures so much of what a lot of us know and have experienced, but haven't been able to, again, enumerate. So credit where credit is due. Definitely did not come up with uh, the term. Um, I first heard it from Jonathan, but I think it just, again, encapsulates, you know, the real strategy here. It's not one and done. Um, and if you'll indulge me for a second, I think part of the reason product teams underinvest in their onboarding is because they think of it as a one-time project. Oh, I do it once and then I'm done. I don't need to think about resourcing it going forward. I only need to think about the engineering cost to build it the first time. I don't need to think about, you know, how I'm going to invest in it over the next quarters. Um, but if you were to ask marketing teams about their website, they would never say to you, oh, once I built the website once, I never touch it again. Right. It's because these experiences, they evolve, they evolve not only because your product evolves, but because your customer, your personas and your jobs to be done evolves. Um, The way we talk about it is onboarding is the bridge between two ends. One end is the value propositions that you're selling and the hopes and dreams that your customers are buying into. And then the other end is your product. Well, if you're doing your jobs well, both of these ends are rapidly changing. And so how can we expect that the bridge that connects two lands that are constantly changing is somehow static? It would break, right? If you think of this as like an actual physical experience, it would break. And so we have to constantly not only rebuild, but iterate and refine. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So so we will try to send this and tag Jonathan uh, to say the credit is due uh, on everboarding. So (laughs) yeah. Uh, But coming back to our podcast, so what are the indicators uh, for a SaaS company to know that they have an onboarding problem? Because I work with SaaS companies, they don't know that they have a problem that, and they don't look at it from that lens. They don't sometimes even know what is onboarding. So 
um, what I'm trying to understand is like, what would be the leading indicators that you have seen from over the years that you have dealt with product and specifically SaaS companies that you have an uh, onboarding problem? So what could that be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in, um, in B2C companies and e-commerce companies, right, you have the benefit of a lot of volume. And when you have a yeah. lot of volume, you can look at the data, right? You can look at the right. drop-offs in your funnel and any funnel analysis can tell you sort of that you have an early funnel problem. Um, yes. In B2B SaaS, I think one of the biggest challenges is we don't have the kind of data volume that you have yes. in B2C, right? You're usually yeah. talking about dozens, hundreds, and then when you're very mature, thousands of companies, right? But in the early days, in the early days before you've realized you have an onboarding problem, you probably have like a couple dozen customers. Um, and so I think the qualitative parts uh, are, are really important. And that is two types of voices. One is the experience of the person who's actually trying to help the customer get set up. Sometimes that might be someone in sales and customer support and product. Um, and the things that they you'll be listening to from them is... Um, uh, I have to do a lot of the work for my customer. Um, I have to re- keep on retraining the customer or, you know, obviously another one is just like time, right? Like how many meetings or how long does it take before I feel like I can take the training wheels off the bicycle? But from the customer's perspective, it's similar, right? It's this feeling of like, I always have to book a call before I can um, get going on my own. Um, I have to like schedule this. Uh, It's really hard. It takes a long time. Um, And I think all of those things are not talking about your product once it's set up, right? They're not saying to you, I'm not getting value or doing this workflow takes a really long time or this part of the product is buggy, right? That type of feedback is more about your core product and whether it's delivering on its value. All of those upfront pieces of feedback, right, is really speaking to like the path between when I sign my contract and when I am able to get value. Makes sense. So um, now this could be a bigger question, but uh, like what's the biggest challenge the SaaS industry is facing today, according to you? I don't know that I uh, am, am sufficiently well informed to answer that question. Yeah, that's, that's why I gave a warning. That's why I gave a warning beforehand. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that this is a, a SaaS problem. I think a lot of people who are much more experienced as leaders than I am, you know, will reference back that all problems at the end of the day are people problems, you know, motivating people helping people feel rewarded by the work that they do, hiring the right people, building the right teams. Again, I don't think that's unique to SaaS by any means, but um, that's certainly a a big part of it. Um, Yeah, let me think about that some more. If I have a more thoughtful answer, I will come back to it. Uh, Podcast with Emily, part two. Uh, (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you. Those were the like the serious business questions. Now we will get on to like the outliers, like uh, just off the topic questions. But but let's see how uh, just to make this much more fun because it's all about people. So <laughs> that's why. And like if I ask you, uh, if you had a choice between two superpowers, being invisible or flying, which one would you choose? <laughs> flying for sure. Um, I think anyone's worked with me has 
probably knows that I'm not inclined to be invisible. <laughs> um, flying, um, I think I'm uh, quite impatient. And so if I can get from point A to point B without any dealing with traffic or flight cancellations, that sounds pretty spectacular. Cool. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would that be? Again, really, really hard to choose. Um, you can have multiple coffees. Yeah. <laughs> um, Susan B. Anthony actually just popped into my head. Obviously, you know, we're speaking at a time of huge social and political change in the U.S. Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, we only have the lives that we live, but yes. the arc of civilization, you know, extends long before that. And so there are other people who have been in the shoes of the leaders we have today who've faced insurmountable challenges. Um, again, you know, we even started this podcast talking about sort of changing hearts and minds, right, is, is a big part of it. And that at great scale is not about software adoption, but is about social change. And, you know, what is it like to have not only the strength of conviction, but the strength of, of patience and resilience um, to lead the kind of change that women like Susan B. Anthony had? Um, I think that would be amazing to hear about. I don't know if she would drink coffee, though. Maybe tea. Okay. All right. And uh, who are the three people who have been the most influential to you? Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So many people. I Literally so many people. I, you know what? How about this? I'll give you three people who come to mind. Yeah, but yeah. I would not necessarily stack rank as top three. Okay. Um, there's this designer I worked with at Intercom. His name is Gustav. Um, I learned so much from working with him. Um, and, you know, I think he is, is one of many, many people I've gotten to work alongside over my career who I've learned from. But I talk about, I think about product as very much of an apprenticeship type function. Like, you can't really learn about product going to a class or reading a book because I think at the end of the day, it's all about judgment. And you can only learn and strengthen your judgment by practicing it yourself and, and watching other people do it. Um, and okay. I think design in many ways is very similar. And, um, you know, I think working alongside someone like Gustav, who's clearly so, so good at his craft um, and clearly took so much pride in his craft, um, I learned just so much. Um, and so that's, that's one that stands out to me. Um, another one that comes to mind was a very, very first manager, actually my first job out of college. Um, his name is Alex. Um, he was the first manager who really gave me uh, really thoughtful, great feedback. Um, for example, I still remember that he once told me that on the phone, I sounded like a child. One, I was actually very young at the time. I think I was like 21 or 22. Um, but two, because I was so nervous, I spoke in a very fast and high-pitched tone. And he practiced with me how to slow down yeah. my speaking yes. um, so that I would come across, you know, with a little bit more gravitas. And again, there have been other people in my life who've done that, but it's people who really, really take that moment to not just give feedback. That's about criticism, right? But to say, I care about you. Here's something yeah. very actionable that I can work with you yes. on. Um, yeah. And that's obviously, yeah, incredibly powerful. Okay. One final question. 
what's been the most memorable moment of your career so far? Um, almost certainly when I left Spoke to start what is now Bento. Um, okay. Like many, many people, uh, I have usually made a decision to change a job once I have figured out what the next path is, right? It's like, you know which door you're about to open and then you close one. And it gives us a sense of security and safety and, and um, predictability. Um, when I left Spoke, I didn't actually know what I was specifically going to work on next. But I realized that the meta question of what I was about to go do was to embrace uncertainty. Like you can have a beautiful business plan on paper. And if you think that's what's actually going to happen, like you're in for no. a world of surprise, right? Like you have, the learned, enti- you have learned nothing from being a product manager. <laughs> the entire meta ethos of entrepreneurship and experimentation, right? Is that right. like, you don't know. Um, yes. And so I realized, I was like, you know, if I'm actually going to do this, then I need to be ready. Like, I need to know that I'm actually ready for the uncertainty and to commit to it in spite of the uncertainty. And so to make a decision to leave before you know what you're even going to start, I thought to me was proving to myself first and foremost that I, I was, you know, ready to embark on this journey. But it was terrifying. Congratulations on taking that journey and taking that plunge. We wish you all the best. (laughs) <laughs> thank you all right it's so coming on thank you thank you so much thank you so much for for those answers uh what next we would do is like we call this section called fast five you do not have time to think these are like five questions Nishant is going to ask you have like no split second to to decide like how to answer them you have to be like as fast as possible up up for it let's do it <laughs> okay all right yeah. over to you Nishant all right so let's start. What's your favorite food? Uni. Okay. Um, <laughs> tell us about it. <laughs> uh, uni I, is I sea have, urchin. I have never had uni. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uni is sea urchin. It tastes okay. like it tastes That's like why. butter from the ocean. It's butter from All the right. ocean. That's what I call okay. it. Okay. Wow. <laughs> What's your favorite memory? What's my favorite memory? Yep. Um, I, fe- <laughs> I fell off a tree once when I was very young. Um, I landed on my, I landed on my back and I thought I died. Uh, but then I opened my eyes and there was a squirrel sitting right next to me and the sun was shining. And I thought, wow, <laughs> what a beautiful afternoon. It was one of the I have. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite memory, but it's what just immediately came to mind. <laughs> okay. What's one thing you're most grateful for? The friends that I have. Okay. I'd agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So who's that one person you cannot live without? Oh, well, my husband. Um, he's my okay. best friend. He's my advisor. He's my travel partner. Yeah, he's my best friend. So. Okay. Wow. So when you're not working, what are you doing? Cooking. Cooking. What what yeah. do you cook? Um, every every <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Tonight we're having some friends over for dinner, and I am making a kale, white bean, and sweet onion salad, and I'm making a smoked salmon um, crostini. Suddenly, I felt I'm in Master Chef. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for, for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for taking our time with us today. One final question. Uh, where can listeners find you online? Yeah, well, um, you know, they can check out Bento at trybento.co. Um, we also uh, offer trials of the Bento product. Um, so just go ahead and sign up for a quick call. We're happy to understand why it is that um, you think you might have opportunities ahead with onboarding and everboarding, um, share advice and perspectives, and then get you set up with Bento um, if that's a good fit. Thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this conversation because we certainly did. So now you have a task. Have a conversation with all your founder friends. Share the knowledge, help them succeed. And I would really appreciate if you would share one takeaway from this episode. And if there's someone you want to ask questions, tell us and we'll bring that person on this podcast and pick their brains asking questions you want answers to. And I'll see you in the next episode of SaaS Backstage Podcasts.